Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first official episode of the Game Luster podcast. This is the editor-in-chief, Trevor Whalen, speaking, and I am joined this time around by editor Robert. Hey, hey. And writer Sean. Howdy, hey, hi. And today our show won't be as long, at least that's the plan. And as before, we'll be starting out with a brief little discussion of our currently playing list. Now, mine's going to be real quick. I'll get to it later. And for now, I'm going to turn it over to Sean. What have you been playing lately? Man, so I took the dive into Doki Doki Literature Club. Oh, boy. uh, Excellent. the advice of Christine. Yeah. Um, My first visual novel. So I didn't really know what to expect going in. But so far, I'm having a really good time with it. Uh, I think, you know subversion subverting tropes is kind of like a buzzword at this point but uh, after playing through all of Doki Doki it really does do a ton of that and I think you know it does it to the extent that I don't know it's just a really unique experience it really does things I haven't seen before and I think it's kind of hard to, to talk about the specifics of that um, without spoiling it, Robert, did you do you ever get around to playing that, or is that still kind of on your to do? It's it's still on my to do, unfortunately. Ditto here. I did not take the dive per Christine's advice, so you are right to be wary of entering spoiler territory. And yeah, it's does, one of those things where yeah, go for it. Oh, does that completely handicap you talking about it? Uh, I. I, I I don't know. There's some fourth wall breaking here and there. Like, and I know even that's kind of like a little overdone at this point. Like the novelty of it has maybe worn off a little bit, but the ways that they do it are really unusual. And what starts is a really run of the mill anime ish thing. Like, like at the beginning, I thought it was totally just a slice of life, uh, self insert, like a harem esque you know, romp through this mm-hmm. like, literature club, but it ended up being a lot more than that. And, uh, the whole thing only took me about five hours and I didn't do every single like route you can take because there's just so many different possibilities the story can take, but I did enough to say I've pretty much experienced, um, the, the main part of it. And I just looked up the other stuff on YouTube, but I heavily recommend both you guys to at least the, through the, the main ending of that game uh, mostly just because it's not much of a time investment and I think on a per pound level it, it's one of the better gaming experiences I had I've had in a long time uh, like how long especially yeah, yeah I'm just up. curious how long did it take you to get to like that first ending man well okay so one of the things they subvert is like the whole idea of an ending so like you think the game's over Time, several times before it actually is um actually reaching like the legitimate end of the game i think took me three hours okay that, maybe four that's it's kind of hard to say yeah that's a way shorter time investment than i thought it was because i'm super used to like visual novels being like yeah it's gonna take 30 hours to really experience everything you know <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't know it was a good time I've never done a visual novel, actually. I don't know if that's a mark of shame or honor or something in between, but I never have. So whether that like five hours, seven hours, 300, I have no point of reference. 
Yeah, but usually they're lengthier. Um, but I don't mm-hmm. think you should feel ashamed for not having played a uh, visual novel. It's definitely not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, would it just be for people who are into anime? Because that's also something else about me. While I have watched anime shows, I'm not like an anime or graphic novel fan. But as a gamer, will that be enough of a point of entry for a visual novel game? Or do you have to have that that love of the subject matter beforehand? I, I don't think you'd have to be an anime fan to like it. You know, the beginning, kind of as I was talking about, starts off very, very anime heavy. But by the end, like that's just the medium that they're using. And, and it's not really reliant on those tropes in many ways you know it's making fun of those anime tropes so i'd say even if you're pretty far distant from anime you could definitely it's definitely worthy of getting it a shot yeah i'd say it probably helps though if you're into anime to like oh get individual novels more easily yeah absolutely but i'd say um my experience with doki doki has made me um open and even maybe excited to try some other visual novels i i know that that's kind of a standout and maybe one of the better ones you can experience but i'm definitely going to be looking out for some others i know uh i don't know if they're visual novels technically but the 999 series on ds yeah yeah i hear good things about those i have two and that might be something that i end up end up getting into i I think they might be sold and bundled i'm not sure about that i think there's two or three of them but um I, I I'd say I'm on my way to trying those. I would recommend if you're looking for a visual novel, a uh, Daddy Dating Simulator. Like I know. Oh, Dream Daddy. <laughs> yeah, Dream Daddy. I know, right? But it's <laughs> oh, yes. pretty good actually. Right, yes, Ryder Dougie's personal game of the year for 2017. Actually, yeah. I have not played it either. Um, but it's it's in my gigantic backlog. I'd like to get to it at some point because Dougie was so into it. I mean, so Dream Daddy, it's like you're a single dad, right? And you're dating other dads. That's kind of what's going on in it. Yeah. And, you know, you get to create the way your dad looks. Um, you know, they've got all kinds of body types. You can make your dad look like Goku from like Dragon Ball, which is pretty good. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, I'm sold. Yeah. But it, it's just, it's very funny. I mean, it's obviously also very LGBT friendly because, you know, you're basically a gay dad. Um, <laughs> but it, it's just very cleverly written and it kind of like lampoons some, uh, visual novel, like tropes and stuff in a way. I don't know. I, I think just the writing in it's very solid. You know, it comes from pretty clever writers, I think. And these, these games, maybe they could serve as a gateway for me. That's what I've thought of them because they're the first, certainly in recent memory, they're the first games of that style that have even crossed my radar screen. So I'm thinking, well, if I ever get around to actually bothering to check them out, it might be a roadway into me becoming like completely obsessed with um, those kind of games. Yeah, you'll develop like a Coke-like addiction to anime yeah. and visual novels. <laughs> well, it's happened. Doki Doki will be your gateway drug. It's it's happened with other things. Um, hey, the first like I hit's mentioned- free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and like I was saying. Like in my write-up for Cuphead on my Game of the Year list, I had hardly ever played uh, bullet hell games before. I would not have considered myself a fan at all, but I really got into Cuphead just because of the art style, just because, you know, there was a lot of coverage for it. It was on my radar screen, and I even noted there it's like my gateway into that style of game. 
so I'm wondering, like, well, I mean, should I play Doki Doki Literature Club? You know, should I cross that Rubicon? You know, um, should I taste the fruit? But like with Cuphead, I don't regret it. I always believe in adding to my my gaming taste because there was a long time where it was just action games and Nintendo games and not much else. And I remember like playing like System Shock 2 or Dragon Age Origins when it came out that introduced me entirely to CRPGs and I, I didn't regret it. So since then, I've always thought if it's a game style I haven't typically checked out, I should definitely check it out. So that I am planning to get to Doki Doki Literature Club, even though without the mentions of it from our staff members, like starting with Tao and his review, it, it wouldn't even be on my radar screen. Yeah, and I I get some people's hesitance to do it because the fan base for Doki Doki Literature is like nearing like Rick and Morty tier annoying, <laughs> maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> like so rabid that it just makes you not want to do it because you know like you fear becoming one of them eventually yeah but i don't know like if you do an hour i honestly say an hour of doki doki you'll have a pretty good idea of like you want to continue playing it you'll have a good idea like there will be some payoff at that point and if that if at that point you feel like you're spending your time well then you'll have no issue just finishing that thing so i would definitely like recommend the first 30 minutes to an hour like just to get a feel for it and if you're into it at that point then it only escalates it from there um i will say and this really isn't a spoiler as it's like plastered like on the steam page for it but it, it really is genuinely um adult content some really heavy themes are hit on it and it's just the craziest like oxymoron it's so weird how how dark it gets so fast and i know there's plenty of dark anime out there but just like you know the literature club like it's just starts out as such a light-hearted thing and then it just so quickly i think maturely handles really deep hard-hitting stuff and yeah i can't i couldn't really recommend it more especially trying it out if you don't end up liking it then you won't like it's not for everyone i'm sure but i know it must be difficult for you to talk about it without being able to spoil it like it really it is a bummer robber and i haven't played it because most people listening likely would i mean i don't know the rule but there's a point at which you can start spoiling something and if someone hasn't played it too bad so for the sake of not making you talk in vague terms anymore um was there anything beyond doki doki that you want to want to talk about playing lately Oh yeah, sure. Um, I've been playing some of the Witness off and on. I don't know if you guys have played any of that. I, I haven't. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I I was just going to say I haven't, but it definitely was on my radar screen. I just it was another game that that flew by. Yeah, I remember seeing it when it came out and looking at it and thinking, meh, not really for me. Yeah, so I'm having a really good time with it. It really goes from making you feel smart to making you feel really profoundly stupid. The puzzles are really inventive in it. There's a really cool sense of exploration. Uh, I picked it up on the PlayStation sale. It was like 10 bucks. I think it's originally like 40 or so. Yeah. And and I feel really good about 10 bucks for it. Uh, I don't know about 40 for it. I mean, whatever. It's really, if, if you're into that type of thing, I never actually played the Myst games on PC. I have heard that it is pretty similar to that. Like there's that, similar mystery of just walking around and kind of discovering the things that surround you and there's not much explanation you're just kind of doing it 
I think the way the game teaches you things are interesting. The tutorial is so indiscreet, so discreet. It's not direct. You're kind of being organically taught things. Like the the setup for the witness, essentially. I'm sure, I guess you guys have already seen it, but it's you wandering this island and solving like increasingly difficult puzzles. And the way that they teach you the mechanics of the puzzles is what's organic. You start off with a really easy version of that puzzle and slowly they kind of add more to it. They start incorporating other types of puzzles that are all around and it just feels like a really natural experience. But um, I, I'm kind of off and on because I get really stumped at some of it and I really hate to look any of it up because at that point it just feels like what the heck is the point of playing a puzzle game if you're going to look up the the answers yeah oh, yeah um been playing that and then some Fortnite, of course which uh trevor and i in theory will be yes playing together at some in theory time. yeah <laughs> it is a good it's a good theory though it i hope i mean i haven't my ps4 it does collect a lot of dust i'm mainly on my pc but right i do i do want to check that out because i i just need to play a battle royale game like i i can't really make excuses like I need to know what that's like. And same with like, pub. Yeah. It yeah. seems like Fortnite's gaining a lot of momentum. I mean, I don't have any quantified way to say that. It's kind of, I guess, just a uh, anecdote. But from what I've seen on social media and stuff, it seems like Fortnite is, is getting a lot of talk. And they're really, uh, the, uh, the developer, I think Epic Games, I think that's their name. Yeah. They're doing a lot to keep refining it and keeping it going. Because I know at the beginning, the shooting was really wobbly and, there was a lot of jankiness to it, but it seems like they're working hard on, on updating it. And, you know, it's a free a free package. So, I don't know. I'm sensing a momentum shift maybe from PUBG to it, but I can't say that with certainty. It, it's a fun time, though. Yeah, I mean, I think Fortnite's always going to have a place just because it's the free uh, Battle yeah. Royale, right? Like, especially for someone like Trevor, right, who says he wants to try one, I think it's yeah. a much easier sell to say, hey, this one's free, rather than, hey, here's a $30 entrance fee, right? Um, but from what, like, I mean, what I think is kind of interesting, right. Is that, I don't know if you guys saw the news, but Epic games shut down, uh, well, they're going to be shutting down Paragon, you know, they're, I did uh, see that. Yeah. They're overwatch ish MOBA. Um, and I'd be willing to bet a few pennies that that might be because they're putting more of their eggs in the, uh, Fortnite basket than the Paragon one. That might be. I mean, the MOBA market is so much more cluttered than Battle Royale right now. Like, the swarms of Battle Royales haven't really came yet. Yeah. So they're, I think they're good. I mean, there's also the factor PUBG is on X, is on PC, and then a gimped version of it is on Xbox One, whereas, like, a complete polished version of Fortnite is available on, you know, the Xbox One, right, I think. And then yeah. well, definitely the PS4. And the PS4 right now, you know, there's no no competition to Fortnite at all from what I'm aware of. So yeah. I think, yeah, in the short term, this doubling down on Fortnite is a really smart move for them to pull um, because I think it won't be long until we see maybe, maybe some triple a devs kind of wading into the battle Royale thing. It seems like a too, too profitable of a, of a venture not to take, I guess. And it's just a matter of time. So yeah, who knows? Maybe the next call of duty is going to have a battle Royale in it. <laughs> who knows? It could. Now I mean, you you have to think it's on the way. I mean, I guess we'll see. Not Call of Duty necessarily, like a triple A AAA studio. Yeah, making their take on it. Now, was there anything else uh, 
besides The Witness, Doki Doki, and Fortnite? That pretty much wraps it up for me. I just picked up Celeste like <laughs> 10 minutes before this podcast. <laughs> okay. Yo, well, it counts. It. I've been seeing a lot of good reviews for that just out of nowhere. Yeah, I was no longer able to evade the hype, and I caved, and I think I made a good decision. Uh, it's fun so far, but I can't really talk to it. I've played like five minutes of it. Right. Well, yeah, that's it. Okay, and I will go next because my currently playing list is really boring and empty. Well, not because the thing on it is boring, but there's not much to talk about. Um, I just played another Thief 2 fan mission, and I do play more than these things. It's not all I play, but lately gaming, I haven't devoted as much time to gaming but what I did play was one called The Flying Age, and it's a very inventive mission. I play it when I just get in like a a flying mood, a, a Zeppelin mood, a plane mood. You know what happens. They strike at odd times. But it's, it's very interesting because the author Sterlino on TTLG.com created, I mean, at one point you fly an airplane, um, which there's nothing like that in the original Thief games, which, again, drives some of the point how creative these authors can be, that you'll be playing one of these missions and there's a hot air balloon. There's one point where you there's a shed that you construct machines in. And I just I had a lot of fun with it. There are a lot of plot twists in it and stuff. I don't want to go into too much details, but suffice it to say, I played another inventive um curious thief fan mission and that's about it i've got a bone up on my gaming for the next podcast <laughs> but anyway you know ask you Trevor. Oh, mm-hmm. oh go ahead go ahead i i had nothing meaningful there so as an enormous thief fan which you appear to be mm-hmm. what was your opinion on like the modern take of thief like you the current m- gen take you mean the 2014 version yeah, because I remember it wasn't well-received. Was that kind of like your feeling on it, too? Well, it was It was mostly underwhelming. Um, it wasn't just terrible. There were some redeeming parts of it. Specifically, there was a mission that took place in an asylum that was pretty creepy. Um, the voice actor for Garrett, um, he wasn't the standard Stephen Russell who did the voice for Garrett in the first three, but... Yeah. But he did, I mean, for a non-Stephen Russell doing Garrett, he did an okay job, I remember. There are some good ideas in it. Um, The two main problems with that game was, one, they, they tried to reinvent the fiction so that people who hadn't played the first three games could get into it. And in doing that, it just became this bland, generic story. I mean, like there's just the Baron as the bad guy and there's even a character called the Thief Taker General. I mean, there was... It it lost all sense of uniqueness or originality that it had in the first three Thief games and it just felt... The narrative and story felt empty and bland and lifeless, really. And, And the second problem was just technical issues, like with the sound or with frame rate or with models loading. Um... It wasn't terrible, but it was underwhelming, and its redeeming qualities were few. So I, I tend to agree the 2014 reboot, not not the reboot Thief fans wanted. Gotcha. Yeah, I was just curious because... Had you played that one? No, I've never played okay. Thief games. None of them, I okay. I say that your love for them 
uh, <laughs> makes me want to try it at some point, especially since it's one of the few games I can actually probably play on my on my computer. Yeah, well, I mean, to its age, and and I I speak as someone who who played it back in the day, so we always have to be aware of that. Um, you know that someone coming to this game for the first time in 2018 is going to have a different set of eyes. Um, yeah. So if you're you know if you accept this is going to be a 1998 to 2000 PC game, you know, and adjust your standards accordingly. Um, you could get into it, you know, like see Thief the Dark yeah. Project as proto Deus Ex or whatever, like put it in its time period and you could get into it. It is on GOG and Steam, so it is readily available. It should play on most current hardware because they actually incorporate a patch that someone and a French fan community for Thief had made that basically you copy three files in your Thief folder and no matter what PC it's on, it'll run. Like, it solves all the compatibility issues. So it's available, it's good. There's, of course, the third one that was also on Xbox. Um, Definitely something you should check out if you haven't. Yeah. Yeah, the closest experience I have to any Thief games is playing the Dishonored games. Mm -hmm. I always thought those were pretty fun. Oh, yes, and they they are definitely the spiritual successor to Thief. Um, and then the second one, they even they even had Stephen Russell voice the male character, so yeah. you had that as well. Um, yeah, that is that is more Thief 4 than what the 2014 Thief was. Well, that's good to know. I did notice, too, in the second game, they added that mode that you could do where you can decide to have no powers if you wanted to play it more Thiefy yeah. instead of, like... Yeah supernatural assassiny yeah all that all that stuff speaks to this crazy style of play that the fan community came up with called ghosting where basically you don't do anything or like you you try to make it seem like if someone's looking over the place you robbed it looks like a ghost did it because there's no evidence like even something as obsessive as you lock doors back you drop keys back where you found them it's very bare bones like like I jokingly said, like, just don't do anything. Like, don't use any items. Don't alert anyone. Like, maybe you can open a door. But, yeah, that's what it all harkens back to. Right. That's cool. And now, as I said, um, that is the extent of my currently playing list. Very dry and boring. So I'll turn it over to you, Robert, to talk about what you've been playing, which I hope has been a little bit more than me. Well, I've actually only been mainly playing one game. Um, I've been playing a bit of Dragon Ball Fighters, which is nice. It's so much fun, guys! Holy crap! Um, Dragon Ball. Yeah, I mean, for one, I'm a huge Dragon Ball fan, mm-hmm. and I've been playing a lot of fighting games in the past year. Mm-hmm. I actually picked up Guilty Gear last year because I knew it was Arc System Works who was making this Dragon Ball game, and I figured like having experience in one of their fighting games would help yeah. me out a lot with uh, Dragon Ball. And it definitely has. Um, not that I'm a pro at the game or anything, but I I already get, like, most of the systems and how the game works. But on top of all that, I'm kind of surprised with uh, how simple it actually is to play. Because I remember seeing a lot of footage of the game, like, you know, when it was all coming out. And, uh, you know, they had a ton of betas. They played at Evo last year. You know, there was just, like, a lot of fighters footage out there before the game even came out. And I saw it, and I thought, like, wow, these are some, like, intense-looking combos. Like, it looks yeah. like it'd be so hard to play. <laughs> but it's really not. 
Like if you It's harder to watch than play, weirdly. Yeah, like if if you mash the light attack button, you do all these combos that like that you're seeing on the screen that you see these other players doing. Those combos that look like they require a lot of different inputs, it's really just pressing one button over and over, which kind of surprised me. You know, I thought that maybe that's a little too easy, but then it brings up this like, okay, well, how do you mix it up and how do you go even further beyond and actually make combos that are interesting to do and can actually get past like someone who blocks a lot or someone who's like quick and dodging on their feet, you know? Um, yeah. So I'm actually, I'm, I'm still definitely trying to pick out and learn how to really play the game well. But in terms of just like fan service and visuals, like, man, that, that game looks so good. It looks so much like the anime, so much like the manga. And like, it looks better than the anime. It's like the oh, visual peak of Dragon Ball. Yeah, seriously. And, and people have done comparisons of like the special moves they do. Like, it's frame by frame perfect yeah. to how they did it in the anime, which is like, it just, it's a really nice touch. You know, it's a really nice small detail that they added. Yeah. Um, so far my favorite thing i think in terms of fan service is i've been playing a little bit of the story mode and they just have a lot of lot of uh little moments between characters that's just you know it doesn't happen in the show but you know them doing it in this game is just really nice you know kind of like goku talks to his friend krillin and kind of just says wait isn't your wife like stronger than you though and krillin's like oh i mean we don't (laughs) let's not talk about it (laughs) You know, it's awesome. Yeah, it's just a lot of good fan service. But on top of that, what I'm really happy about is that it's actually a good fighting game. You know, it's not just a game that like Dragon Ball fans can enjoy, but a game that fighting game fans can actually enjoy. Right. It's such an enormous step up from the Dragon Ball fighting games of the past. You know, I have fond memories of Budokai, and I think that's mostly just because I'm such a huge Dragon Ball fan. I played it when I was younger and just simply playing a video game of Dragon Ball Z was enough for me. But them actually, like a an actually good developer of fighting games, taking the license and then doing something like this with it is awesome for like both fighting game fans and Dragon Ball Z fans. Yeah. It I, is really cool. Yeah, like I can't wait to see it at Evo this year because now all of the characters are out. Everyone's going to have like six months to practice and seeing some high level gameplay of that game is probably going to be super hype honestly yeah i'm curious like how the fighting game scene will will take off with it i think you know in theory it should be huge because i think a big part of how a fighting or how a competitive scene starts is just the sheer player base and i imagine the player base for this one will be huge it'll be you know just big just because of the the name or whatever and I think when there's a big player base, even of casual players, they like tuning in to see what other people are capable of. Yeah. Like the best are capable of. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping the esports scene really blows up for it. Yes. We'll see. Same here. I think it'll, I mean, it's definitely going to, it was already pretty big at Evo last year for being a game that was technically still in beta. Um, yeah. So yeah, seeing it now is probably going to be really cool. And I, I'm just, I don't know. I can't wait to see like the top eight, see how they play the match and like what teams they build, what team synergies they come up with. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be great. I, I did have one question. So is this, how's the story mode compared to other uh, Dragon Ball Z games? Because I, I did hear that that maybe is the one weakness of this one. And it's something that arc system works typically doesn't 
expend much effort into creating is is a story i guess you did kind of have your praise for it right there but yeah is it kind of a smaller uh, emphasis in this game yeah i mean story is not the biggest thing i mean it's better to me than it was in guilty gear because guilty gear was just watching cutscene. like there wasn't even fighting in the story mode it was just watching a really really long movie um yeah with fighters there's actually like fighting involved and they do that thing like in budokai 2 where there's like a map and you have to like go from point to point and then at different points there are fights and stuff like that um okay so it kind of copies that and what i think i'm just really happy about granted i haven't beaten the game so i don't know like what the story ends like how, how it ends exactly um but i'm just really happy that we're not seeing them recap the whole story you know i mean there's only so many times you can beat frieza on namek and then beat cell as gohan and then you know what i mean like it's a lot of yeah a lot of dragon ball games they don't even have a story they're just like we're gonna tell you the whole story of the the show that you've already seen all over again has the boo thing has the boo saga ever really been tackled though because i remember playing budokai and stuff i would go through frieza and Cell like constantly like yeah, I mean, Budokai Tenkaichi for sure hit uh, Boo. Some of them went okay, into GT yeah. and, like, finished up GT. And even the games after that, for yeah. sure, like, went through the Boo saga and all that. Okay, did you ever play Supersonic Warriors on the, the Game Boy Advance? Yeah, that game was Dude, that, weirdly fun. <laughs> that game had, like, the dankest alternative timelines. Oh, I yeah. That. I do. It was, like what if krillin defeated frieza it's like what the heck am i doing right now? but it was so cool yeah at the same time like the creativity of that it's like they did not care about you know preserving the brand of dragon ball in that instance like they're just like all these crazy hypotheticals it was neat yeah and that's part of the same reason i'm enjoying the story so much because it's just it's another hypothetical in this universe that i really love um I think <laughs> something I'm really enjoying is that the story, they do this thing where um, there are these these unexplainable waves out in the atmosphere that's sucking the power out of everyone, which yeah. which is their story reason for explaining why Krillin can beat Cell or why like Yamcha <laughs> can fight Frieza because they've all been like taken down to the same level, basically. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. The shoehorned reasons to justify like yeah the insane power imbalance somehow working yeah so i just love how in this beginning part they're they're making this huge emphasis on like the side character saying yeah we don't need to rely on goku anymore i can fight too because you know the whole show has basically just been waiting for goku to come and save the day (laughs) yeah which is like not to divert like this conversation too much but like I'd say easily the biggest fault Dragon Ball ever had was making its cast, like half of them completely irrelevant. Yeah, for sure. Like the power creep was so bad. So yeah, it does. It did create the need for weird explanations like that in the game because otherwise it just is so unbelievable to see Yamcha holding his own against literally anyone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, Yamcha's so good in that game though. Like in the story, you find him and he's not even knocked out. He's just like laying down because he doesn't want to get up and it's, it's so good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just hoping someone like that just ends up at the very top of the tier list, like Nappa or somebody like yeah. that. Yeah. Ridiculous. Man, I'd be hype on that. I don't know. Yamcha's like really fast though in that game. He has a lot of good mix ups oh, really? if you if you know how to use the uh Wolf Fang Fist pretty well. So I don't know. I mean a lot of like it feels very balanced. It doesn't feel so far that like there's one character that is like gonna dominate or anything like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess that might be true. I, I feel like, I, I guess I don't know your experience with fighting games, but in every fighting game I've ever played, I've never like approached being good enough to where I could like really, uh, I don't know, be impacted by the tears. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, same here. <laughs> like in Smash Bros or whatever, I'll hear that this player is bad or this player is good, and it's just like I'm just so far from the level of play that where that would even come into factor. Yeah, I'm the same but, way for sure. I mean, I'm I'm decent at fighting games. I've have definitely like yeah, learned yeah. fighting game strategy and stuff. It's yeah, 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 yeah. it's a lot of work though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I could I could talk about Smash Brothers um certainly than I could a Dragon Ball fighting game. Um but I think for now I'd rather talk about microtransactions. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Definitely, definitely better to talk about than Smash Brothers, um, because instead of discussion discussing how Jigglypuff may or may not be the best character, um, secretly well, is though for real. Yeah, I've I've heard that a lot. I've I've gotten capable at Jigglypuff. Um, I remember like in the latest one. Oh, I can't believe I'm blanking out the name, but I mean the the Final Fantasy VII character, Cloud. I can't. Cloud, yes. I couldn't believe I blinked out on that. Um, I have played Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. But anyway, I got to a point where I just dominated as him. And I remember my older brother in Melee, he, like, you cannot touch him when he's Link. Uh, mm. But then Jigglypuff, I hear, she's the best. And I've only ever gotten, like, moderate as Jigglypuff. Did you just assume Jigglypuff's gender? <laughs> Is that a wrong thing to do? No, uh, I actually okay. agree with you. Okay. Jigglypuff and uh, Smash is a girl. I think that's... I think that's confirmed somewhere. He or she. My bad. Yeah. But, but yeah, microtransactions. Oh yeah, that's right. I I was going against my own my own rule that we should talk about microtransactions and not Smash Brothers. Um which is For a very ninety nine, you can unlock the premium podcast and hear about this discussion. <laughs> you can hear our microtransaction discussion by uh, giving us there your credit card number. Um, or or microtransactions in the next Smash Brothers. Uh, do we dare think that? That could be horrifying. What would it because even then, be? That is a good question. I mean, that's interesting to think about whether like Nintendo will take take that jump. Because then they would they would get me. Like so far, I can just watch from the sidelines and laugh as people fall to microtransactions and all of this purported gambling. But if Smash Brothers had it, then the joke would be on me. You could yeah, say right now it's like, oh man, you spent money on Clash of Clans, like what a loser! Yeah. But like Smash, <laughs> got it. I just would be spending yeah, so much money. I would be like no better than the person spending money on whatever. You know what I mean? Like it just needs to come for the right thing, and I don't know if I'll be able to resist uh, the encroaching waves of capitalism descending upon games. I, <laughs> I would hope Nintendo would be above it. Um, I mean, we'll see. I know. I mean, the Switch has to get a Smash Brothers at some point. It should be inevitable um but if it adopts any sort of microtransactions well like i said it'll get me um especially if they had like special wario skins or if i got it they like wario land stages for once that you could unlock or yeah. or you know what what's another highly highly sought after smash oh. brothers character um oh, i'm trying shit. to think of some off the top of my head i just I just thought of a pretty good microtransaction idea. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, well, you know the the WarioWare stages. Uh huh. Uh, twenty five cents to skip like that mini game. <laughs> okay, 
<laughs> sure. Yeah. That'll work. For real. God, that would suck. To, to add... <laughs> That that would be, but it would be a good way to to get you off guard, um, and maybe like when a secret fighter appears, it'll show the silhouette and say, you know, so and so has appeared. But then it says, and you have to pay three dollars to fight them or find out who they are. A dollar to oh, find man. out who they are. Two dollars to fight them. Ugh. That is a a dark timeline to imagine, but it also seems very possible. And maybe I don't know, maybe not. It might also mean that people in Washington State under eighteen may not be able to play the next Smash Brothers. Because in case you haven't heard, three Washington State senators want to know if loot boxes are gambling. And they're not the first politicians to bring this up. The US isn't the only country either. Um and it does bring into question, would they be able to be sold to minors? Um, and the, the minor age for gambling can vary from 18 to 21. So, um, like, yeah, what should we be? Should we be concerned? Should we be picketing? Should we be, you know, getting our guns and saying, you know, don't tread on me? Like what? Or should we not be worried? Is it just something silly as i've heard some people reference it it's it's not going to lead to anything serious like how should we as gamers respond to politicians once again wanting to get involved and instead of you know saying games are murder simulators or whatever now it's the gambling angle like takes thoughts i don't know i remember jorge talking about this before like internally with us and i i'm kind of on the side of preferring no government interference not because i'm worried like oh this is a slippery slope once they do that they're gonna just do everything but it's more so like i've never look i've never trusted politicians to understand anything except money like money for them and i feel go ahead oh yeah i was just going to say that's a I can understand why you would think like that. Yeah, and it's just, it's hard for me to understand, or hard for me to wrap my head around the idea of them doing something good for something like video games. I feel like, yeah. I mean, because think about it, the movies, like the for Hollywood, they have the MPAA to self-regulate. And back in the 90s, the ESRB was created for video games, so that way, you know, the video game industry would regulate itself. And I think that makes more sense because the ESRB is headed by people who at least kind of know what a video game is in the same way that the MPAA is headed by people who know what movies are. I feel like once the government steps in, though, it's going to start being run by people who don't see video games as an art form or as like interactive entertainment, but just as a means to an end and that end being more money. And, of course, they always take the angle of protecting the kids which yeah. politicians do love to do and which betrays how they do see games as kids toys especially like star wars battlefront 2 they're talking about how even a quote said something like if parents knew these games had gambling in them they wouldn't want to put them under their christmas tree so they're still seeing games as kids toys well i guess my question is is the government reaching any further let me rephrase that if the allegation or what's being proposed is that loot boxes are a form of gambling 
is the government really extending their reach any further than it is or are they just approaching it differently if you know what i mean like it's not a restructure of the government having more power it's more them just changing the way they interpret loot boxes into online gambling and then applying what the current law is which is that you can't right yeah yeah and 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 the the more the important it would be like the selling of it to minors if if a game's rated teen but it has gambling then in some states even people under 21 couldn't buy it that would be the main thing and then depending on the country i mean what if what if in a country they have heavy regulations on gambling or even don't allow gambling so it, it if they define it if they define it as gambling then the takeaway will be now the law treats any game with microtransactions as a form of gambling and then whatever the ramifications from that are would apply yeah I don't know. Like for me, I've just I've never been a fan of loot boxes in the first place, and I've always felt like they're more trouble than it's worth. And the fact that governments getting involved to me is just proving that loot boxes aren't that great. Yes. Um, yeah. Because I can understand it for like a free to play game as a way to make money, right? Because I mean, it's got to stay afloat somehow, and it yeah. makes sense to me. But a game like Shadows of War, that Middle Earth Shadows of War, should never have had loot boxes. Battlefront 2 probably should not have had loot boxes unless it was free to play from the beginning. Especially ones that, you know, actually impact the game as significantly yeah. as those ones did. Pure cosmetics yeah. is one thing, like, whatever. There's some... I'm somewhat cynical that there's an inevitability to this, like, to loot boxes becoming more and more of a thing. But I, I think it's really good that there was sort of a hard line drawn in the sand with the battlefront 2 thing even if it was just from the heart i don't know how it sold but i know at least i mean the quote-unquote hardcore gaming community uh reacted so strongly against it that i think we're safe from that level of loot box for now but i don't know like cosmetics and all that like i'm just so indifferent to it because i just see no way around it happening yeah i mean i'm glad that i don't care about cosmetics personally so microtransactions like government's getting involved um it's not something to completely go crazy over it's kind of just something to have on a radar and be aware of and to ask like how how worth it how worth it is it to have things like loot boxes that are going to get the attention of politicians like when there's such a huge blow up over battlefront 2 which arguably got the attention and they're able to say things like in in Hawaii. I remember like it's digital or online gambling with the Star Wars skin. I mean, like, is it worth it? Like, really? Like, there shouldn't be something that we have to take seriously. It seems so. It's kind of like I think at best it's like a little nuisance that'll just make game developers a little bit more cautious about how they approach loot boxes and microtransactions, and hopefully, it wouldn't become anything more. Yeah, I agree. I think because like a lot of this all kind of stemmed from the mobile gaming market, like mobile gaming had huge like microtransactions in it, not necessarily loot boxes. Right. But like, yeah, you know, buy these premium currency ruby dust to buy more whatever's in the game, you know, Um, (laughs) and there's always the two currencies. Yeah. One you can get and there's the one you can buy. Yeah. There's like literal dust. You can get that for free in the game or you can buy shiny coins. Right. Um, yeah. and I think, I think that loot boxes are kind of stemming from that into like, 
you know, big triple A titles because it's the idea of, well, what can we sell that isn't just like, you know, one time DLC, but like constant radiant, you know, reasons to keep throwing money at us. I mean, Clash of like like those free to play games. I think they make more money than, I mean, one of you guys can fact check me if this is wrong, but I'm pretty sure they make more money than most, like triple A games do. Uh, I mean, that's hard to say because I mean, with mobile games, there's definitely like bigger market penetration because almost everyone has a smartphone, right? Right. Uh, whereas yeah. not everyone has a PS4 or an Xbox or a PC or a Switch or sure, whatever. Yeah, just the the target. Or not the target audience. Yeah, the install base is just, you know, yeah. Yeah, bigger. it's astronomically different. That That's a fair point, yeah. I know, like, for me personally, um, the, clo- the most I've spent with loot boxes has been when I was doing the Quake Champions beta. And I remember, like, it, at the holiday season or whatever, I'd load it up and I'd have 10 loot boxes, and it would be fun to just open them one after another. But... I would get duplicates or I wouldn't care. It would be for characters I never played as. And then I calculated, like, if I started buying them from the store, it could really start to rip me off. And I remember, like, even for some of the skins they had, I was getting into getting Quake 1 weapon models. I realized, holy cow, like, I've gotten the early access pack. If I keep getting these, it's going to be more than $50. This free-to-play thing, maybe it is kind of a ripoff. Yeah, it just depends on your personal self-control, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like like I had to tell myself several times, I don't need to see the Quake 1 nail guns and rocket launchers. I'm perfectly fine with the Champions model. And it, it worked. I did get the lightning gun. Or the, it's, what is it? The Quake the 1 name real, for it, the, the Thunderbolt. Real? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the lightning gun in Quake 3 and the Thunderbolt in Quake 1. It's one of those stupid little term twist that that people can get you like you don't know your quake trivia but anyway (laughs) bottom line being um i think for most gamers it's just a nuisance and nothing more and just like how politicians are a nuisance and just like how um hard time schedules can be a nuisance and i know that you robert you've got a jet here in a little bit yeah so with this discussion of microtransactions we will wrap things up and sean don't worry i won't put you on the spot again you can go last you can go last with words of wisdom um i can quickly google something to say okay (laughs) that's wise yeah well my signing off words of wisdom are smash brothers and microtransactions should never go together robert you can follow me at on Twitter at Panoptimist, P-I-N-O-P-T-I-M-I-S-T. I, I need to get ready. I can't. That's like that's like a Wild West, like what is it, swinging out the gun in a split second? Like I can't do that. Like you got me. You got me. I can't whip it out that fast. I'm at Benny the Guard, all lowercase with an underscore between the words at Benny the Guard. Um, Sean. You can find me uh, at Ellen DeGeneres. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. So at. My actual words of wisdom are to play Doki Doki Literature Club. Mm-hmm. It is available on Mac and PC both for you few poor souls like me who who play some games on the Mac. And it is very easy to run. There's no way your computer couldn't run it. And it is a really good time. So check, check it out. Nice. Nice. All right. All right. Excellent. And I, I'm going to get to that one. 
by the next podcast, I will not be saying I have not done Doki Doki Literature Club. I will force myself to do it. And with that, thank you, everyone, for listening. Robert and Sean, thank you both. This is Trevor Whalen, Editor-in-Chief at Game Luster, signing off on the Game Luster podcast. Later. See ya.